Welcome, everybody, to Study Hall, Episode 7. As always, I'm Trevor Denton with Jimmy Goodman, Jordan Hunter, Daniel Halpern. Guys, we've got a very, very, very special uh, show today. We've got a special guest. I'm not just talking about, like, Dan's cousin or something. This guy is a bona fide school legend at USC, and I truly mean that. One of the best players all time in school history when it comes to his specific position. I don't want to give too much away, say who it is quite yet, but I will say that. That's one of my clues, Best, uh, one of the best of all time in his position, also a Super Bowl champion. feel like that casts a pretty wide net. You can use your imagination, make some guesses, but that'll be coming up after we talk first about the big news going on with USC, the biggest news lately, uh, the Trojans landing the consensus top recruit in the entire nation, Corey Foreman, defensive end out of Centennial High School, local in the area. So it's kind of fitting 2020, the year of the coronavirus, 2021 for USC, the uh, start starting the year by getting the top recruit who happens to be out of Corona, California. So guys, I just want to hear from you. You, know, um, you think uh, unanimously getting the top recruit in the nation is a great thing, but as we know, uh, USC Twitter and USC fandom can't have anything great. Um, they found a way to spin this one negatively. Fans still finding a way to complain. Um, so I'm just wondering from you guys, uh, from your perspective, do you think that this is a major accomplishment that shows that USC is finally heading in the right direction, recruiting-wise, on and off the field? Or do you think this is yet another sort of empty calorie of the Clay Helton air that's not going to lead to anything? We'll start with you, Dan. What did you make of the Corey Foreman signing? Do you see it as a positive or a negative? Uh, I'm definitely on the opposite side of the USC Twitter sphere who just said, oh, this is useless. He should go somewhere else. Why would you ever tell somebody to go somewhere else? Like, this is where you want to be. Boulevard Studios. This is what we're all here for, right? Uh, I think that this is a great achievement. I think he's going to be a terror lining up on the other side of the line from Drake Jackson. I think it's going to be a really fun pass rush for the next one, two years if uh, uh, Jackson stays for an extra year. Uh, and then I just want to say that regardless of what you want to say about Clay Helton, Dante Williams is the man. Like he he gets everyone. He's pulling all the strings. You also have uh, Bronny James Jr. Sierra Wright from Space Jam 2. He's going to be great. Another great prospect there. And I, it's, it's really interesting to think because I was reading a lot about this saying how the coronavirus pandemic really helped USC recruiting because there was a lot of these guys from California who in past years, uh, they've started to not really stay in L.A., and this, this pandemic is really keeping everyone just here in California. It's making people rethink if they want to go so far away from home. And I think that with the, the talent on this team, and I know I say this every year, but the, the sky is the limit. And you can say whatever you want about Play Helton. I think that the talent that they keep bringing in year after year, it, maybe not this, this upcoming year, but I really think the following year, USC is going to be a team to be reckoned with. I agree about being, you know, hyped and optimistic and, it's certainly never bad news to get the number one player in the country. Uh, I, I think what it will come down to is deployment, uh, as well as kind of getting that supporting cast around him. I mean, I think it's fair to say that it's at least a little bit shocking to see just kind of the depth of the exodus that we have seen from USC this offseason in terms of players declaring early for the draft. Uh, be they ready or not, you know, all love in the world to OG Elijah Griffin, but I can't imagine that him going to the NFL makes any sense from a career readiness standpoint, but yeah, he, he will be gone. Uh, so I, I think as important as it, as it is and impactful as it is to get a guy like Corey Foreman, especially if he's essentially how we, you know, counter teams like Oregon that could throw a cave on Thibodeau at us. Um, I think it's going to be more important to see how USC fills out the rest of its roster. That's losing year over year to, 
uh, early graduations from guys like Elijah Barry Tucker, uh, Talanoa Hufanga is obviously going to be massive. Uh, OG, as mentioned before, I mean, there's a lot of spots on this roster to fill up. So I would say Corey Foreman's great, but you know, keep your eyes on Rayson Davis, who's going to make his announcement sooner rather than later, I believe, and has USC as a a consensus front runner in his top four. But we will see what happens there. Um, so it's great news, but it's by no means a, a cure all. I think we're all in the in the same boat that it's not like Dan said, it's, it's never bad to get the number one player in the country. I mean, does it used to happen all the time for SC hasn't happened that much, but it just shows that there's still so much glitz and glam that comes with being University of Southern California, being in LA, Boulevard Studios, whatever that is. Um, it's just, it's, it's refreshing, you know, coming off of the uh, Pac-12 championship loss to come back, what, two weeks later, three weeks later, and get the number one player in the country who, as Trevor mentioned, had Clemson, LSU, Georgia, these, every school calling for him, and he cho- uh, chooses to stay home. You know, it's big. We should, like, we should be getting all of these Southern California hotshot prospects. They shouldn't be going to Arizona State or to the South or Oregon getting a lot of them. We should be getting all of them because we're, we're SC – we're going to give you Boulevard Studios. We're hopefully going to give you a better coach than Clay Helton one of these days. And you're going to be able to shine on a on the stage on a regular basis. You saw how many um, big games USC had on TV. I mean, it was sun- Sunday, Friday night, a lot of big games. People still want to see SC football, whether it's because they love SC or whether it's because they actually they want to hate on SC. A lot of people hate SC football. But for whatever reason, people want to watch us. And there's no bigger stage, I think, outside of, you know, the Clemsons, the the Bamas, the Georgias, and Texas other than SC. Guys, anyone want to guess the last time USC landed the consensus composite uh, top player in the nation, top recruit? Jimmy? Was it 2005? It was 2006 with the landing of Joe McKnight. That is wrong. That is wrong, though. I do believe that he was the number one recruit. It was actually Matt Barkley in 2009 was the last time. So it's been a good – it's been a good 10 years, obviously good whenever you land the number one recruit, but I'm going to go ahead and play devil's advocate since you guys are all in agreement. And I think that maybe a source of why USC Twitter found a way to get angry at that as crazy as that is, is that the number one recruit in the nation does not commit to a school unless he has full assurance that the coach that is recruiting him is going to be there for the next three years. And I think that's where USC fans are mad. They're seeing this as almost a sign of like stability again in the program. Whereas like the last recruiting class went to crap because no one was sure if Clay Helton would be back. Like we didn't have a president. We didn't have an athletic director. Now we have all of those things in place and this guy's committing to play at USC for the next three or four years, presumably thinking Clay Helton's going to be in charge. So I think that's where you could start to spin it negatively. And I think what we need to see, USC has brought in great players. I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster was a five-star. They brought in five stars. Darnold, high recruit. All of these guys were high recruits. Uh, now it's all about developing them. And, and it's really been a problem for USC developing offensive and defensive linemen. So Corey Foreman, I think this will be someone that future recruits really look at, a guy who comes in as the number one overall recruit and what USC does with him, whether he tur- flames out, turns into a third-round pick, or whether he's a top-five pick, will really go a long way in, in showing how good Clay Helton is at developing recruits. Because in theory, if you can't turn the five-star consensus top player in the nation into um, an all-conference player at the very least, if not an All-American, then you have some serious problems. But – that's kind of how uh, I'm choosing to view it. I think that's why fans maybe are, are taking it negatively. 
but hard to say anything negative about Dante Williams. Like you said, recruited Corey, uh, Corey Foreman also recruited uh, Sierra white out of Loyola where our friend of the podcast, Joseph Topete went to high school. They have a lot in common. Joseph has also acted like he's my friend for many years. Sierra white, Sierra, <laughs> uh, Sierra right. Uh, acting in space jam too, but guys kind of uh, interesting news that USC just kind of floated out there. Now Dante Williams has what the associate head coach position, assistant head coach position, which doesn't seem to mean a whole lot, but it does mean that if Clay Helton were to mysteriously vanish along the Santa Monica pier, which um, <laughs> I haven't been planning at all. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to kidnap Clay Helton uh, on, on January 14th at 7 PM on the Santa Monica pier while they're filming the next Boulevard studios video. I'm not planning <laughs> on doing that at all. I don't have the production list and know exactly where they're going to be. I'm definitely not going to do that or anything, but say if Clay Helton were to disappear on January 14th on the Santa Monica pier during the latest Boulevard studios filming with Logan and Jake Paul, um, then Dante Williams would take over the head coaching role. Guys, is this an empty title or does this mean that he's the next head coach in waiting? I think that if anything, what, what this does is it's the Clay Helton, you're still our guy, but there is a fire lit under your seat right now. There, you don't promote this guy without having the, the idea in your mind, hey, he might need to take over at some point. And, you know, I, I don't think that Bone is thinking the reason I need to replace Clay Helton is because Trevor Denton is coming for him out at the pier at Santa Monica. I don't think that's the reasoning for Yeah, this. guys, that was too close to home. I'm, I'm in trouble now. I'm going to be on like some no-fly list for that because that's way too close to home. Continue. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I think that this definitely shows that, hey, the direction of this team, if you don't write the ship, Clay Helton, we're giving it over to Dante Williams. Because as we were saying uh, a couple days ago in our group chat, if Dante Williams isn't uh, a head coach with us soon, he will be a head coach in a different program uh, sooner rather than later, for sure. I think my first reaction of all this is that, first of all, if something happens to Clay Helton on January 14th, I will not hesitate to call the Federal Bureau of Investigations. I will rat you out immediately uh but second of all i think that the dante williams conversation is rather interesting because i think that this promotion is much more like you know the way in which ed reed is nominated to be director of the program of, of sorts for miami football right it's it's more about finding a good face for usc football that isn't you know a player who's only going to be around for a couple years but like finding a, a good consistent face for the program year to year uh, to point to and say, you know, if you're coming to USC, you're getting this, right? Uh, and in a lot of ways, we haven't had that. And even if it's someone like a, a Graham Harrell, you don't know how long he's going to be there. Uh, speaking of which, I mean, he, he is currently taking head coaching uh, interviews as we speak. So, you know, it, a lot of that kind of stuff can be fleeting. But if you have a guy like Dante Williams, who reasonally speaking, it would be very difficult, in the, in the, at least in the short term, for a team to come in and say, hey, you could be our head coach. Because uh, he, he just hasn't had that quite, you know, excellent you know, coaching experience in his past. Um, but he, that's basically what it is. He, he is the, the face of the program as, as we sit here today, uh, at least from a non-player perspective. And, and you bring that up, um, Graham Harrell, that, that segues into kind of another big uh, USC-related news story going on. That's right, Graham Harrell starting to um, it, it's been going on for a while. He interviewed with the Philadelphia Eagles, turned that down. Um, he was heavily rumored for the Utah State job. Uh, but guys, I'm just curious because not everyone's, you know, unanimous on, on, on loving Graham Harrell's play calling style. So uh, we'll start with you, Jordan. Like, how upset would you be if Graham Harrell left to take a job right now on a scale of one to Clay Helton on January 14th? <laughs> 
I mean, I, I think I'd be, I think it'd be a five in the middle. I do like, I think he does bring life into the offense, but there's just gotta be some balance. Like um, he like to see the ball uh, run a little more. Um, we got to be better in the red zone with like within the 10, within the five, we've got to, those should be scores every time. Um, I wouldn't be too, too upset, but I do think he, he doesn't need to go yet. He brings this flash that I, that I really like. And I think he, he's really good for Keaton. It'd be, I think it'd be bad for Keaton if we had to replace Graham before Keaton's probably last year. Uh, I, I disagree on that. I think that, you know, maybe it's, it's time. We, we were frustrated that we, we didn't take a single snap under center all, all year. I think there's no QB sneaks in the, in the playbook. And I think that, you know, maybe, maybe Graham Harrell leaving isn't the worst thing for this team. I think it can definitely allow some more uh, different areas of the, the team to, to prosper a little bit. And I think that you have uh, kind of that luster of uh, like a first year rookie quarterback in the NFL, like a, a Robert Griffin, the third or a Lamar Jackson, sorry, Jimmy, that like they teams kind of figure out what they're doing and uh, they're not as effective. And I feel like this is the same Jimmy's Jimmy's irate over here at my, uh, my Lamar Jackson uh, take, but uh, I, I feel like teams have kind of keyed into what USC is doing. And Hey, if they're not going to line up under center, why do we even game plan for anything for them to line up under center? I, I think that there, there is a transition that could happen and I would not be, uh, I would not hate it. Okay, so some such extreme blasphemy. I cannot believe that Lamar Jackson is being equated to Robert Griffin III, even though, you know, he has an MVP to his name. Uh, but I, I think Graham Harrell is good for the team. He, I mean, he's it. if you think about it in terms of raw output from the offensive side, it, you can't really argue with his results, right? Uh, he, he has fundamentally changed the way in which USC – plays football uh mostly on the offensive side but i mean they put up so many points per game that i mean it, it really has been a, a bit of a horse race these past couple of years uh which really in a lot of ways isn't his fault right it, he, he's not coaching a, a defense that under clancy pendergrass uh, a couple of years ago i guess uh was actually getting destroyed um and it, it was better certainly this year with todd orlando but it wasn't perfect by any means um I, i'd say that you know what has worked uh, with Keaton, it, it would be hard to have much confidence in, you know, departing from that model. Uh, do I think we could run the ball, ball more? Sure. Uh, but I think that Graham understands that that's as much a function of who is up front and who is in the backfield as it is about his own personal preferences. I disagree with him. I, I disagree wholeheartedly because I think Marquis step, we, we knew, we saw glimpses that he was truly a talented back. And he just transferred not too long ago because he was just not right for the offense. And I don't think, I think there's something wrong with the system. If a player like Marquis step is not right for your offense, when you can't even convert a third and one because your running back is 12 yards in the backfield. I think that's ridiculous. I think what I want to see from Graham Harrell is to be a little more uh, malleable in, in NFL, you could have a more strong sense of identity. You have a baseline quality level of players, but in college, everything oscillates and changes. And I didn't like the fact that when asked, when pressed why he never went under shotgun, his answer was like, that's just not what I do. Like, bro, you're not established enough to like have this set philosophy and be that set in your ways that you're not willing to adapt. And being able to adapt is key at the college level. I think Pete Carroll did that seamlessly throughout his years between Matt Liner uh, between John David Booty, he played to the strengths of his players and adjusted the scheme accordingly. Some years they ran a lot more than others. Some year they passed a lot, but everything complemented each other. And that's what I want to see from Graham Harrell is a little more complimentary football. Yeah, they put up some points. Yeah, they made some flashy plays, but how good is your offense really if you 
don't trust them to convert on a third and one. Isn't that really what it's all about at the end of the day is being able to convert a fourth and one on the one yard line with the game on the line. And if your offense can't do that, I don't know if I trust it. So I, I, I was high on Clay Hell. I mean, I'm not completely out on uh, on Graham Harrell by any means, but I didn't like the fact that Marquis uh, step transferred because I think he's a very talented back. I think he's going to find a home and, and, and be very good, but he didn't have a home in this offense. And to me, that shows, like I said, uh, a little bit of a lack of adaptability by, by Graham Harrell. And I want to see some more of that. Well, I would say that, you know, while fourth downs and third downs are important, I would say it's usually most important that the offense scores as many points as possible in order to outscore. We, we, did, we, we did not score as many points as possible, though. This year, in fact, I would say the opposite. I would say we left a lot of points on the board uh, in yeah. basically every single game. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that points were left off on the board. I disagree. I don't think <laughs> the most points is the most important thing because you also need to you know, help out the defense by having a little bit of control of pace. Like late in the game, if you have a lead, which I, we didn't really have a lot this year, but you need to be able to run the clock out. And you're not – it's not effective to run the clock out if you're throwing the ball. You need to be able to run the ball. I'm, I'm with Trevor on this. Well, yeah, no, but- I, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with either of those points, but the offense did not turn the ball over a lot. They, they I mean, without the exception of fumbles, which are – as much a product of luck as anything. And, and mind you, Murphy Step was one of the biggest fumblers on this football team. Uh, with the exception of that, the offense was really efficient. Uh, and, and you know, of course you're going to leave points on the board. The way that USC plays football, they look to get as many snaps as offense as possible, right? They play a pretty up-tempo, pretty high-passing, high-volume passing game, which means that you're going to leave a lot of clock, a lot of time on the clock in general. So you're going to have a lot of plays. You're going to have a lot of drives. You're going to have a lot of drives that stall. That's just going to happen with an offense like this. But if you if you have an offense, even in college football, if you have an offense where you feel pretty confident they can put up like 30 points a game, yeah, but, you're not going to lose what, what, a lot what is, of – You can't convert a fourth and one. I Yeah, I mean, I'm confident the USC could put up 30 points occasionally. I'm, uh, I've actually never – I'm seen not saying occasionally. I'm saying – I've never game. seen a team so many times – where I was that had that little of confidence that they would get a fourth and one conversion. Like literally watching them, you would see just based on the formation, Marquis stepped 12 <laughs> yards behind the line of scrimmage. Um, you, you're like, there's no chance here. It's like we're, we're, we're fighting, we're fighting from 12 yards behind versus just sticking it right up the gut and making a play like that play in the Pac-12 championship where Kayvon Thibodeau just like speared uh, the crap out of Marquis step. Like he didn't even have a chance on that play. And to me, that shows a lack of adaptability. That's being way too set in your ways. And, and, and I'm, I'm not even saying like, oh, they need to run X amount. I'm not even saying there's quotas to fill. I'm saying you need to adjust with the game. And there were plenty of times this year where Keaton Slovis was not in any shape, way, or form in a rhythm, and they needed to rely on the run game more in those situations, and they just weren't able to. And that's my problem with this offense is, is the lack of being able to adjust. Speechless, as usual, just rendering – the rest of the study hall mates speechless. Well, like I said earlier, uh, coming up, we have a very special guest. And, and when I say that, I really do mean it. It's not like Daniel's cousin or something like that. This is a very, very special guest. One of the best USC players of all time at his position, like I mentioned earlier, and a Super Bowl champion. Can't wait for that. That's coming up after this quick break. Welcome back, everyone, to the Study Hall Podcast, Episode 7. Trevor Den with Jimmy Goodman, Jordan Hunter, and Daniel Halpern. We're also joined by a very, very special guest. Truly, when I say this, I really mean this. One of the great players in USC history. Six most receiving yards in school history, which really means a lot at wide receiver U. USC, also a Super Bowl champion with the New York Giants. 
Steve Smith. Without further ado, thank you so much for being here today on the podcast. Hey, what's going on? Fight on. Fight on, baby. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. So obviously just mentioned uh, a lot of your accolades on the football field during your four years at USC and your six years in the NFL, but what have been like your primary focuses since hanging up the cleats? Um, you know, just being a, a good parent. Um, I got two kids and I'm married, you know, so be a good husband. Uh, my son, Carter, he's nine and Jordan, he's uh, six. So, um, you know, that's, we do baseball, we, we train, you know what I'm saying? Do a lot of stuff and all about, they're tired of hearing me about me and USC and football. So they don't care. But um, besides that, you know, I do real estate and um, I got a game, like an app for like, it's called Great Catch. Um, so, you know, just dabbling around doing some stuff. Well, your kids might not care about your USC career, but we we definitely care about it here. <laughs> Can't forget what you were able to accomplish in the Cardinal goal. Was it tough at first to hang up the cleats and sort of give up football and move on to the next stage of your of your life and career? Yeah, man, it was honestly uh, it was hard. Honestly, I sat around um, for like a whole year and a half, really just doing nothing. I always say like a part of me died, and then you know I just had to like find something else. You know, what I'm saying other things to do and things like that, but. Uh, yeah, you know, just being able to live through my brother as well, still playing. Uh, fellow children, Malcolm Smith, he's still playing for the Browns right now. So that's a good thing for me. Um, but, yeah. Well, Steve, we're going to bring it back to where it all started at Taft High School. Trevor mentioned all your collegiate and pro accolades. What some people may not know is how dominant of an athlete you were in high school. Yes, you were a consensus All-American and three-time All-State football player. However, one may argue that you were even more dominant in basketball. Uh, on the court, you were an All-State freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. In your senior year, you averaged 25 points alongside future two-time NBA champion Jordan Farmar. So, Steve, what made you decide to transition to focus on football uh, full-time in college and I guess, where does your senior year Taft squad rank all time in terms of your most dominant teams you've been a part of? Oh, well, I mean, um, shoot, basketball, man. Yeah, I just decided not to play anymore because I, I was like six feet and, you know, I didn't want to work that hard. <laughs> I, de I never even really trained that hard in basketball, man. You know, they asked me to play when I was at SC and I was just like too into girls and other stuff, you know what I'm saying? So. I should have, I don't know what could have in basketball, but um, yeah, so football, you know, it was just, it was easier for me, but it was fun too, you know what I'm saying? And um, as far as my senior, my senior year at SC, um, at Taft, we were nice in, in football for sure, you know, and basketball really, you know, both teams, but compared to like other, other great high school, you know, teams, you know, we competed. I think we were up there. We lost in the finals, like, two years in a row, it was terrible. Like, you know, ripped my heart out at SC, literally at SC. But, um, you know, it just propelled me into SC, really. The, you know, I barely lost any games at SC, so, you know, it was cool. Did you ever suit up for a practice at SC for basketball at all, or did you just focus 100% on, on football? I was strictly football, yeah. I didn't, I wish I did, honestly. You know, my dad was urging me to play, and I was just like, you know, just no, you, know, you think you know everything, so. Looking back, I wish I would have just tried. Steve, I didn't realize we had so much in common. I also gave up a USC basketball career to pursue women. I didn't realize we had that in common. <laughs> Go ahead, Jimmy. Go ahead. 
Thanks again, Steve, for coming by. Uh, you say that football was easier and more fun for you, and you definitely made that uh, seem true in the Orange Bowl with your legendary three-touchdown performance uh, back in 2005. And I'm wondering, you know, so you had two scores going into halftime. It was a 38-10 to 10 game. Did you go up to Matt and say, hey, like, let's just make it three as fast as possible? <laughs> no, man. It was, he was just spreading the wealth, honestly, you know. That was just like a, a knight from a, an angel, like, basically. You know, Reggie was the main guy. We had so many guys on that team loaded, and I guess they just forgot about me. So, you know, the coverage just kind of went my way that night. So it was just – it worked out great. We, we've talked about um, some decisions you've made so far. So what brought you back to USC after your junior year? You had nearly – your 60 catches, nearly 1,000 yards – so what made you come back for your senior season? Honestly, I had a meeting with Coach Carroll and uh, they had like an advisor, advisors. So we met with the advisors and I, I had a third round grade from them. And so I was just like, you know what, let me just go back. And I didn't like how my junior ended anyway. I felt like um, I could have improved on some things with my game and stuff. And I, I was going to get more opportunities. So I was like, let me just go back. It's SC. I'm, I'm by the beach, like hanging out with Snoop. So, I mean, I wasn't really tripping on money at all anyway. <laughs> um, so with what we kind of see today with college football players, you think you would make the same decision if you were playing college today as far as coming back staying. for your senior staying. season? Yeah, staying. Um, oh, that's a good question. I mean, if it was my team, probably. If it was if I was on the SC team now, I don't know. You know, it just – it does – That's a, I don't know. That's a good – I don't know. That's – it just worked out in my situation, you know, Hey, you know, I had, you know, a good, my mom was, she worked hard. I was in like needy for money, you know what I'm saying? So it just worked out for me to stay at SC. It just seems from hearing it in your voice, like those teams were special and we know about what they did on the field. We've heard all the stats. We've seen the documentaries, we've seen the games, but like, what do people not see? What was the special sauce that truly made that team special? Like that, we, that the most fans don't know about. Oh man, so, so much stuff has been talked about. I don't probably the competition, and you know, it was so much competition. Like, you know, the third guy, the third receiver, was like competing. He was ready to play. You know, um, really, whoever was put into the game, every, everybody was inches away with athletic ability. Everybody was focused. You know, we had Reggie was he. You should see Reggie in practice sprinting like looking like a horse, like beating everyone, like in practice, you know what I'm saying? You're just seeing things like that. You, you just want, you just keep wanting more and more. Um, and all that winning, it just brought so much fun, really. And a little later, we want to get into the differences between, between USC then and today, but I do want to talk about your NFL career too. And we've already mentioned so many big games that you played in. I believe you played in what, three Rose Bowls and one Orange Bowl. I mean, that doesn't just happen. Fast forward to when you're <laughs> I mean, that does not happen. That's that's extremely yeah, rare. Fast forward yeah. to, when, to when you're a rookie in the NFL. I mean, you're 22 years old, right? And you're playing in a Super Bowl on the biggest stage against the undefeated Patriots. Like, I mean, that's right. just insane stuff. Like, I'm 23 right now, and I can't even, like, keep my room clean. You're playing in a Super Bowl at 22 <laughs> years old. So I just want to know, like, how did your big game experience at USC and being in that environment that yeah, you talked about prepare you for that weird. moment of being in Super Bowl 42? Oh, man, that's it right there. I mean, prepared me like crazy. Even fresh, fresh uh, rookie uh, freshman year, 
at SC, I was in the Rose Bowl, right, playing against Michigan. I'm out, I'm out there like, like it's crazy looking, you know. Even my first game at SC at Auburn, I mean, the orange towels were going crazy. I was like, wow, like, yeah. So, you know, coming from Taft, you know, had some big games, but SC definitely prepared me for, you know, the limelight and the big games. I walked into the Super Bowl like, oh, I was mad. I was, I was ready. I was nothing. I didn't even look in the stands. I was ready to play. So, yep. So, you know, we, you talked about the Super Bowl, how it translated from college. Um, and you had a big game in that Super Bowl down the last minute. But you, your brother, Malcolm, also had a huge game in his Super Bowl with the Seahawks against the Broncos. Um, do you and Malcolm ever kind of compare Super Bowl achievements? Yeah, you know, I'd be, I used to, like, be all competitive. He won up me for sure with that MVP. I can't even sniff anything anymore. He's like, I'm, I'm Malcolm's brother now. It used to be, oh, yeah, 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 you know. You Steve's brother, like, oh yeah, Malcolm, yeah, I'm this now. Oh yeah, aren't you? Isn't your brother Super Bowl champion and stuff? So, you know, I'm an old man now, but um, we both just are so thankful and just it's just so cool. We're we're the sixth set of bros to win the Super Bowl, and um, it's just great, man. Coming from SC, we we had the same path, Taft, SC, you know, in the league, and he's, you know, holding it down, still playing. So it's a blessing. And obviously in that game, you were led by by Eli Manning was your quarterback then, but you played with so many great quarterbacks. I mean, going back to Liner, John David Booty doesn't get enough recognition. Oh, Mike Vick. I'm so glad you said that. Dude, I'll never forget <laughs> John David Booty. I will I never love John forget. David. Yeah, he's cold. I was just, I was literally thinking that when I was when I when I knew I was gonna talk about this, I was like, Yeah, John David, man, he was good. He just got sick, you know, and even Brandon Hans. He got sick. He was good too. You know, there's just so many good players and guys even that were at SC that didn't even get a chance to play because the competition is just crazy. But yeah, like, like Matt Castle too, right? Was a guy that was like a like a third string. <laughs> ended up having a long career in the NFL. Man, he was like running down on kickoff. Matt <laughs> Castle was a utility player. He could play tight end. He was playing tight end. He's so just goofy guy, just big guy and awesome player. Just team player, ready to do anything, and that's why he stuck and was able to, you know, go far. And so you've had the pleasure of playing with all these guys, even some of them running after you on on, on kickoffs. But uh, I'm just wondering, like, if you had to pick any of the quarterbacks you've ever played with at any level, and say we're in like a Space Jam type scenario where we need a game-winning drive, we need six points on this drive to save the fate of humanity, and you could only pick one of those quarterbacks that we mentioned to lead you on that drive. Who are you taking? This is a tough one now. <laughs> yeah, oh man. I mean, I'm gonna just have to go with Eli probably because you know, no moment phased him. Phased him ever really. He just was always he would always step up when it, when we needed him basically, right? And uh, he's always had the same face. He go out there and make the big play. So I'm gonna go with Eli. <laughs> and everyone knows about that like Joe Montana moment right in the Super Bowl where he like noticed a famous actor in the stands did Eli Manning have any moments like that during Super Bowl 42 was there anything <laughs> that you remember him saying in the huddle that stands out to you no I don't man I know he he had he had a couple moments though you know he would interact with the linemen a lot so I'm sure I'm sure there was something for him but no not particular. So, Steve, we, we've mentioned a lot of your, your accolades up until this point, all your athletic accomplishments. But 
which achievement on the football field are you uh, most proud of? Man, probably, um, probably by the 107 catches I, I got with the Giants, the record still to today. You know, it was just awesome year, man, and just everything just worked out well for me and just staying healthy. A lot of stuff has to go your way. Just really proud of that, but there's so many, so many good. I was fortunate to have a lot of good ones. The Giants have been around for almost 100 years now, and you are the single-season receptions leader at 107. Victor Cruz, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. for a little bit. I mean, you were the one who's at the top of the tower. That has to be awesome. What went into that 2009 year that really made it different, that got you to the Pro Bowl, that made it your, your best career in the pros? That offseason, man, I worked so hard with my, with my friend, Paul Pratt. He uh, played for the Detroit Lions. He went to high school with me, and we just trained our butts off. And I remember even coming back and coach was like, you know, my offensive coordinator was like, oh yeah, he he, he knew I was like ready, even from like our sprints or our sprinting test. Um, I remember our conditioning test, yeah. So, you know, just going in focus, ready to go. And fortunately staying healthy, like fighting through Steve, you're breaking up a little bit there. Are you still with us? Oh, I'm I was breaking up. I don't yeah, know. lost you a little yeah. bit at just mm-hmm. the very end of the answer. Oh, yeah, the catches and stuff. You know, <laughs> it was amazing, man. No worries. Um, what is worrisome is uh, the current state of USC football. So yeah. I'm curious if there's anything that you see in the way that the team currently is that's, like, so clearly different between when you were there and when you were playing. Like, aside from, you know, the wins and a lot of the positive attention, but, like, if there's, like, one thing that you could point to and say it's particularly different, what would that be? Yeah, I, I would say the we don't run the ball. We don't even run the ball anymore. And, like, every year, every graded F3 team I know, they had a great running back, and they ran the ball hard. You know? So, I mean, I just want to see us run the ball a little bit more. Yeah, this past year, we had Veve, uh, we had Stephen Carr, who we all love a lot. It's not like we, we couldn't run the ball. It's just for, for some reason, we, we weren't. And you can, the offensive line here and there, there's, there's issues. There's not as highly ranked people in there. But if you woke up as athletic director of USC tomorrow, what's the one move that you're making to get our program back to the glory days? Oh, man. You got some good questions. Um, (laughs) you know what 5 a.m workouts I need to see I need us I need you know I don't want to kill us now I want y'all to enjoy life but we got to like step up our 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 speed we got to you know work on some speed and explosiveness you know incorporate some um prehab so nobody's getting injured really like focus on some couple some other little things outside of the actual like x's and o's and stuff which I'm sure they're doing but you know, that's, that's just what I would do, maybe. And obviously a lot's changed staff-wise since you've been there. What's your relationship like to the current staff? Do you still keep in touch with Clay Helton, any of those guys? Uh, wh- where do you kind of stand with, with the USC football program right now? Oh, man, I got a lot of respect for those guys. I know they put in countless hours. I, I briefly have spoken to Kerry Colbert, you know, uh, my former OG receiver, um, but really haven't talked to anybody else, um, but I'm definitely wishing them the best. And, you know, I know people are hard on Clay Helton. I, that's a hard job. I think he's a good man. And 
you know, in these times and days, you know, you need good people, lead, you know, around these ki kids and he, you know, he has a good heart and stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for us for sure. See my hat. <laughs> Steve, we know we're still in the midst of this pandemic and quarantining has been a huge thing. So if you had to quarantine with one former USC teammate and one former coach, who would you pick and why? Well, that's tight. That's a good one. I would say probably my, my Dwayne Jerry because I haven't seen him in a while and that was my boy. I loved him and we, I still love him, you know, and I just wish him the best. And we had so much um, fun out there on the field and just great times. So, you know, hoping everything's good with you, DJ. And um, you said a coach? Yeah. Oh, Coach Carroll, man. I would definitely <laughs> coach Carroll, man. He's so fun and he's just so much energy all the time. Definitely, I love to. I mean, I seen him at the uh, last time I seen him was at the Super Bowl, and he was just the same guy. Like he was like, "Come on out to Seattle, Stevie," and like he's just awesome, man. So him, definitely. I mean, you, you're quarantining with him though. Do you want someone who's so high energy? If you can't get out of the house, you're gonna be locked inside with this guy. He's gonna be bouncing off the walls. How much gum can you? <laughs> you his jaw's gonna start bleeding over here. You can't run off energy any way else. <laughs> nah, he. He knows how to chill. He definitely, he knows how to chill. He, he's an OG, man. <laughs> hey, I'm picking Lendell White for reasons that I can't say because I have a job right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say Lendell, but I figured, you know, that's obvious. <laughs> we need to get him on the pod. We need to get him on the pod. Thank you so much for doing this, man. It, it really is awesome to hear from you. Um, oh, man. Really yeah, thank you. And, and truly, fun, I mean, definitely, I enjoy. It. I'm glad. It's fun talking about about the old days. Like, just when you think back on, on those days, what's kind of the the one memory that stands out to you? Oh, so many. I remember walking to school from from uh, the dorms. Uh, just a lot of walking. I remember all that training, <laughs> uh, all the flights. Oh, they we used to I used to have to drink so many protein shakes and. Oh man, and all the just the game day, the energy, going out to there and that field, oh, it's like electric, man. And seeing all the you know the stands and all the people, and oh man, it's just the energy is crazy. You can't even, I can't even explain it, man. I think I speak for everyone when I say we definitely want to see that energy back at USC. Thank you for bringing the energy today. You know, there's. A lot of people with the name Steve Smith, even a Stephen A. Smith. But here at the Study Hall <laughs> podcast, you're the only Steve Smith that matters to us. Thank you so much again for being you, here, man. man. Fight on. Fight hey, on. Appreciate fellas. it. Appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Take care, fellas. All right, we're back with Study Hall, Trevor Denton, Daniel Halpern, Jimmy Goodman, Jordan Hunter. Guys, we just had amazing guest Steve Smith. Awesome conversation um, with a USC legend. Always great to have uh, a legend from USC's past on the show. Definitely hope to have more and more in the future. Um, but, guys, what really stood out to you? What's your biggest takeaway from, from our conversation with him? Uh, we'll start with you, Daniel. What would you take away from talking to Steve Smith? I mean, super laid back guy. It sounds like he still has that uh, competitive itch that he is always trying to get out there and do something, even if it's just coaching up his kids, whatever, anything like that. Uh, I, I, we hear it over and over again that back in the, the early 2000s, USC was the place to be. 
he's he's talking about Snoop for a second there on the sidelines, and just it does it never ceases to amaze me how many cool things were going on back then, and how different it seems like maybe just college football in general. Maybe it's not even just USC, but college football in general was back in the early two thousands than it is today. Well, I, I think about the environment too is the biggest thing that stood out to me, and and talking about like Matt Castle running down on kickoffs as like the fifth string quarterback, and it really reminds me of Alabama today. I mean, you had. Alvin Kamara, right, was the fifth string at Alabama behind guys like Kenyon Drake and Derrick Henry. I think that's that's the comparison that you make to USC back then. They were the Alabama of college football, and back then they were five deep, and you really, really had to compete on a daily basis and practice to even hit the field, and the fact that he was able to accomplish everything he did uh, is nothing short of incredible, but it does speak to where USC was then versus now. How about you, Jordan? What was your, what was your biggest takeaway from talking to Steve? I, I loved when Daniel – I think it was Daniel, when you asked the question about um, – basketball mm-hmm. and uh how he used to play it and he was really good he averaged like 25 a game for taft and then you asked him if he was if he thought about playing in college and he was like no you know i never picked it up i was too focused on the girls and that was just really funny because like really when you play when you try to play both it's a 12-month commitment and you can't really work hard play hard if you're practicing 24 7 so he's, you got he got to get the girls in there bro you know majored in football minored in girls like trevor <laughs> well yeah and hopefully maybe one day we'll get him back on the pod and talk a little bit more about his uh early career highlights but this was a dominant high school athlete we're talking he was a, a four sport athlete he had his freshman year playing on the freshman team he had 27 touchdowns like you just don't have 27 touchdowns uh, in, in really any level of football, even if it's just the freshman team. And, you know, it, spectacular guy, spectacular athlete. I agree. Um, I, I think, you know, first of all, we need to backtrack just a small bit. Uh, Trevor minoring in girls is a new uh, development to me. I didn't, I didn't know that. Uh, Wait, well, why do we retroactively act like I just was a loser? Like I had a, I talked to Joseph about this because you guys mentioned this on like the first podcast. I am by no means saying that I had an all pro career or even a pro bowl career. But I will say that I was a respectable 10 year starter in the league. I made some plays that needed to be made. I had a solid, if unspectacular career, but to act like I'm a loser, f- right off. You get one girlfriend and all of a sudden you're acting like you're, you're, you're freaking Brad Pitt in here, like wearing sunglasses and stuff. Like let's relax on the loser Trevor thing. Okay. I'm not here saying that I was the greatest, but I had a solid career. And I think a lot of people would back that up. But anyway, I, I really appreciated how genuine Steve was. Uh, certainly, he, he looks back very fondly on, on both his USC and his NFL playing careers and, of course, his, his high school playing careers. And he, he genuinely was interested in, you know, sharing that with a lot of us. And, I mean, you know, he's been asked a lot of these questions, certainly, before about, you know, the Orange Bowl or what the team was like. But he, he definitely looks back on it as a, a great part of his life. Uh, and I appreciate him and his very genuine answers with us. Another big uh, milestone we hit today, not only our first special guest, but also I believe that's the third podcast now that we mentioned John David Booty. There's got to be some sort of reward there. There's got to be some uh, level of achievement that we've unlocked by mentioning John David Booty for the third time. Maybe we get him on the podcast. That would be that would be pretty cool. But yeah, you know, let's, let's stop acting like, uh, like I had a bad college career. I, I, I'm not over that yet. I, I, I think that's a little, I think that's a little skewed. I think that's skewed, Jimmy. As an eligible college bachelor, you invited me to be part of an online video game league. Let's point just, take, no, point taken. that's fair. All right. That's fair. All right. Well, 
that's all the time we have. Uh, really enjoyed having Steve Smith on the show. Really, uh, eh, I would say I enjoy spending time with you guys, but I, I, I don't agree anymore. But anyways, I'll be forced to be back on the podcast next week for, for episode eight. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back with a new episode. Like I said, episode eight next week. Bye.